Welcome to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with Eva Medelec. If you're struggling to stay ahead of your daily life challenges, you will want to listen close as Eva and her guests will help you address the most important priorities first. Now, here's your host, Eva Medelec. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. I'm Eva Medelec, and my guest today, Matthew Reynolds, is an author, equity consultant, educator, and warrior for justice. With over 15 years experience as a teacher in secondary education and a passion for the arts and disseminating information, Matthew has the ability to reach minds and hearts through learning and processing. He regularly shares his message of liberated diversity, equity, and inclusion in talks with organizations and on social media. And he believes that everyone is deserving of love and belonging. Matthew helps people craft their equity lens. And this tool is a call to action and guides people towards living their biggest, fullest, and brightest. So welcome to the show today, Matthew. So happy to have you. Oh, Eva, thank you so much for that introduction. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm excited to see where the next hour takes the both of us. Yes, me too. So give our listeners a little bit of information about you. Like who is Matthew the person? Mm, that great question, Eva. Just dump, jumping right in, I should say. Here we go. Um, I believe that uh, to answer that question, I need to give a, a bit of my history. And my history, of course, when I'm looking at my ancestors and I'm looking at going back at least seven generations of them, um, I come from both farming stock and from slavery. And so my father was the second generation out of slavery. Um, he was born and raised in Montgomery, Alabama. He fell in love with my mother. They met on a riverboat just uh, that used to port in Keokuk, Iowa. Um, and my mother was born and raised in Illinois, and she was the fourth um, child to um, farmers there. She was Irish, German, Swedish. And when the two of them met and fell in love, my mother's side of the family kicked her out of the family for dating my father, dating a man of color. And so my father um, and mother decided to consider or to continue their exodus out of the South and ended up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, I'm the fourth of six. Uh, I'm the third of the boys. There's three boys and three girls. Um, and my... I remember my mother very clearly telling me um, all of us older four kids at a younger age to never raise fists at anybody else unless they called us the N-word. And so I was three years old. I was playing um, out in the back alley to our house with some of the other neighbor kids and my one of my older brothers. And one of the kids called my older brother the N-word. And I looked at my brother and I looked at this kid and I looked at my brother and I was like, this is what mom said. And so I started fighting. And that was the start of me fighting for a number of years. Um, my parents were like, we're, we want to get away from this. So they moved even further north than Minneapolis, about an hour north to a small town called Isanti, Minnesota. Um, we were the only family of visible ethnicity until I got into the eighth grade. So we moved there when I was three. So there was a number of years Lots of name calling, um, lots of fighting, et cetera, et cetera. 
My father, um, he had a tendency to be heavy handed. He was an abusive father. Uh, I had a tendency to get a lot of that abuse, that physical abuse and mental abuse, along with what was happening in school. Um, and I could just couldn't wait to get out of there and thought when I got take or got my scholarships and ready to go to the University of Minnesota that I was going to meet more more queer identified folks because in that journey I realized that I was same gender loving as well um meet more queer folks meet more black folks everything was going to be fine and it wasn't and so I started out as an aeronautical engineer and a mathematician because it's what I was good at and everybody was like you're going to make so much money you're going to make all this money etc etc and I was like great yay let me just get on that train. Why is nobody talking about happiness? Why is nobody <laughs> talking about joy? <laughs> but yeah. I'm going to hop on this train and go with everybody, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it reminds me of, um, what was it, Cabaret? Money makes the world go around. I yes. just had that song go through my head when you were sharing that. Yes. Mm. And that's a, that's a great segue because mm. I found myself in a theater class that spring <laughs> and that was, that was it for me. And and the mathematician and all of that kind of got pushed to the side. I became a multimedia performance artist and started really getting my voice out there. A lot of my art was cathartic, talking about my lived experience so far, talking about being multiracial, growing up in a small town in rural, rural America. Um, and then I found myself in Chicago. I found myself in Seattle. I found myself living in Europe for three years. I found myself back to Seattle. And then I finally got the calling at about 35 um, to become a high school teacher. And so I moved to Southern Oregon, um, went to Southern Oregon University to get my master's in teaching. Spent, as you read in my bio, 15 years there, really building a program, building a school, um, honing my skills in listening, honing my skills in really understanding humanity and what my philosophy of education is and what I wanted to bring to the world. Um, and then in 2016, when 45 was elected, it got really dangerous for me where I was at. Um, and a lot of stressors, outside stressors through that, the course of that time that I was there, there was, you know, visits to the hospital for cortisol levels being so high, thinking I had a heart attack, um, not being able to turn my head to the left and the right, because I had so much stress and pressure within my neck and, um, all these variables that kept happening to me and I wasn't listening. I was like, no, I'm going to stay here with my students because my students were amazing. And so just like brought me so much joy and showed me so much. I learned so much from them. And just as much as I was giving to them, I was getting back. And it just really, I really wasn't seeing the signs that the universe was like, um, you need to move on. You need to go someplace else. This isn't healthy for you. You weren't supposed to spend as much time there. Um, and then when I finally- I, I just wanna, I just wanna yeah, interrupt yeah. you one second because Please. what you just made a very, very important point in reading the signs. You know, I, I speak a lot on, on burnout and overwhelm and exhaustion. In, in my coaching practice, um, a lot of my clients are, you know, busy, busy professionals that have these signs, but, you know, we've got to look at what the signs and what they're telling us because it's giving us information so that we can build our best lives, you know, be living our best lives. And so a lot of times we look at that as like, oh my God, that's so bad. You know, you have stress, you have overwhelm, you have cortisol. And if we can look at it as, as, okay, this is information 
that I can take to create my next strategy, my next move to create a better life for myself. You know, it's not, it doesn't all have to be gloom and doom, but it is if you are aware of the signs and the signals and you can take a step back and say, okay, what do I need to do to create a better life for myself? So I am at the edge of my seat for the next part of the story, Matthew. Yes. <laughs> what yeah, did you do? Yeah, you. Yes. And because that's a, once again, it's a great segue. I realized in these moments that my past is my education, that instead of my past becoming just reliving trauma, putting myself through those emotions again, or allowing shame and guilt to come into my life and weigh me down, you know, put it, put it on like this yoke of shame as I relived particular stories or particular aspects. I said, no, this is my lived experience. It's not going away, right? I can't push it away and wish it away or regret it or any of that kind of stuff. Let me look at it. What is, what is here to learn, right? And from that learning, from that understanding, that's when I started going, oh, if I look at the past as my education, it begins my healing journey and my healing from those traumas, right? And as I'm healing from those traumas, then just as you stated, my purpose started to come to the surface more. And I really started to see all these places in my lived experience as gathering of different skills, gathering of different tools and toys to be able to put them in my toy box or my toolbox so that I could play and live and grow and build a life that was my biggest, fullest and brightest. And so that's what got me to this point of being like, well, how do I offer this to other people? Because I don't want... I don't want my lived experience to be some kind of snake oil or magic fairy dust. I want it to be an invitation. I want it to be a guide. I want it to be more inspirational. Just like I told my students all the time, I don't want you to put me on a pedestal. I don't want you to live your life like me. I don't want you to think like me. I want you to find your authenticity and let your authenticity and the truth of who you are lead you in life. That is where your joy will be. That is where your purpose is waiting for you. And that, that intrinsic motivation will then bring forward all of this for you. And you will have much more joy in your life and be able to embrace all of the aspects that make us human, right? Our frontal cortex, everything that we can be angry and we can be um, vengeful or we can be these things, but then we can have grace and we can give grace and we can lead to our compassion and we can have all of these things, even in the course of a day we can. And that's something to celebrate. That's something for us to embrace. And that's also something for us to lead with. And so you'll find me saying a lot, I like to lead with my humanity and I like mm, to invite other people to lead with their humanity as well. Now, I'm not playing devil's advocate, but that is a journey. Okay. <laughs> that is a journey of lived experiences. How can young people, you know, I, I have grown daughters and, I'll, you know, and it took 20 years for them to say, you were right, mom. <laughs> Or, you know, I get it now because there is a journey that young people, like what age? You said you were high school, right? High school teacher. Yes, I was. You know, there's a lot of living still to be lived with through those high school experiences and beyond. So how do you get them to get it, if you will? 
Okay. So it depends on the it that you're talking about, right? Well, what you just said about, um, you know, being authentic, finding their, their purpose, if you will, their passion and how to be happy. There's so much angst and hormones. That's a deadly combination that's going on at that age. And so, I mean, I have teachers on the highest pedestal ever, because if I had to teach my own kids, like, uh, <laughs> one of us would be, in a, you know, one or both of us would be in, a, in an insane asylum right now. And But that's just me and my personality. But the patience and grace and generosity that teachers on a whole, um, the spirit that they have to be giving to other people's children and young adults to, to create these amazing humans, I think is just one of the most underpaid, underserved professions out there. I mean, you sh- y'all should be making more than doctors. I'm sorry. Right. I mean, doctors do save our lives and there's something to be said for that. But, you know, what so you guys do. So do educators. So do educators. I mean, it goes above and beyond that in a, in a lot of cases. But my point is, you know, you have this lived experience of almost every minoritized group that you can imagine is all bundled up in you as one human being. Mm-hmm. No, literally. And that's a unique experience, that unique lived experience that you have to draw out of. And I'm sure there are a lot of students who have similar um, journeys ahead of them, if you will, mm-hmm. and that they're going through right now. But how do you instill that level of joy, hope, whatever you want to call it, into young people at that age so that, you know, you know, I look at the mental health crisis, I look at the, 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 the number of um, uh, suicides that, um, that people choose to die by. I know it's to be politically correct. It's not commit suicide, but died by suicide. Mm -hmm. I look at depression. I look at um, all of these other things that our young people are facing, peer pressure, influencers, TikTok, Instagram, like ah, just name it, lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. Mm -hmm. How How does an educator instill this level of um, hope. Hmm. <sighs> we got to take I, a breath on that one. <sighs> I, I did. And because you, there are so many through lines and I know that we're coming on to up to our first break. So I'm going to give us just a little bit, right? I'm going to start us off. And that little bit is I do my best to start with you, my student. I need you to believe in you. I can believe in you till the cows come home. And I do. And I can say that again and again and again throughout the course of a day, throughout the the, the years. If you're in my program, if you're in my program for all four years, I can say it again and again and again. And I know that I'm only planting seeds that maybe possibly by the time that they graduate, it's a glimmer. It's it's that voice is still there of Mr. Reynolds saying, of Reynolds saying, you know, you have to believe in you. Before, above and beyond anything else, you have to believe in you because there's so many things in the world that are going to tell you that you're not who you should be, that you need to be like them, that if you're not like them, you're nothing at all, or you're lesser than, or this is the path you have to follow to be successful. Well, whose definition of success are we using? 
Are we not inspiring in our youth to be intrinsically motivated to create success for them in what it is? Is not being a lifelong learner the career that we as human beings should all embrace and take forward with us as we believe in ourselves? We don't have to spend 40 years at only one position. Our hearts may open. Our minds may open. We may meet other people that'll take us someplace completely different that we thought that we could never be in or be a part of. Hello, I went from being an aeronautical engineer and a mathematician to a performance artist, to having my own dance company, to living abroad, to doing all kinds of handing out flyers, working in restaurants, doing all the, you know what I'm saying? And now here I am having these audiences and these great conversations with these amazing people about asking folks to be more humanity led. And it starts with us having to have a belief in ourselves. That's where true faith comes from. That's where hope comes from. That's what makes it easier for me to give myself grace and give others grace, set up healthy boundaries, be able to really embrace my joy and be able to look at that past as my education so that my future is an inspiration. Okay. Well, there's a mic drop on that. What I, what I, what came forward or fourth for me, as you were sharing, is I hear an inspiration to be open to possibilities and all of that, because I know you also have competition with whatever messages these kids are getting at home. (laughs) And it's not always positive love and light, for sure. These kids are dealing with a lot of tough things. So when we come back from break, I want to talk about um, the problems you do solve, who you help, and... um, talk a little bit about this this equity lens that we teased a bit before the break so we'll be right back after after a short break everybody so come back this 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 conversation is hot and it's going to get hotter what's stopping you from having more money time energy and fun Learn how to break through where you stop so that you can have greater success, better health, and happier relationships. Take this free quiz to identify what's stopping your success and learn exactly what you can do about it. www.evamedelec.com slash quiz. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Having higher levels of energy is something you choose and condition, not something you have. Exhaustion has been a challenge for over two years now. This is the year you can choose to change. Here are five things you can start doing today to reverse the burnout, stress, and overwhelm that is keeping you from living a life full of good health and happy relationships. www.evamedelec.com slash reverse burnout. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with host Eva Medelec. 
Have a question for Eva or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5795. That's 866-472-5795. Now back to the show. Here again is Eva Medelec. All righty. We are back with Matthew Reynolds. And I have to tell you this, this conversation that we've dived into somehow is, is very exciting for me. So Matthew, before we went to break, we, we talked about a little bit about your life journey, your lived experience and how it brought you from where you thought you would be going in life to where you are in life now. So Talk to us a little bit about um, what you're doing now and the type of problems you solve for people and who you help and, and who you, and the mark you're making in the world at this stage on your journey. Yes. Yes, Eva, thank you so much. And as you can, as you heard, you can see why it was like, well, I got to give you this history <laughs> because it, yeah. but wait, life. there's more. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so part of it, it, one of the things that I took away from being an educator is scaffolding, right? We look at that end product, the things that the state or national standards, et cetera, that we want our students to leave with, right? And then hopefully a school itself has built some of their own. Um, I know that the school that I helped build, we made everything I can statements. So they were, by the time that they graduated, they could firmly stand and say, I can write this research paper. I can discern this and this. I can perform here. I can look at art and have a critique that is based off my critical thinking, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So as I looked at all of that and started looking at that scaffolding, once again, taking me back, my past is my education. And I started looking at my lived experiences. I started looking at those moments that were really weighing me down, that I was reliving, that I seemed to carry some regret with. I listened to living in the Netherlands. Um, a lot of the friends that I had there at New Year's, you ask, do you have any regrets for the year? And what you do is if you have regrets, at least with this group of friends I had, I don't know if it's a Dutch tradition or not, you go back and you make sure you don't go into the new year with any regrets. So thinking about that, looking at that, looking at my past, looking at what I was learning from my students in front of me, it was like, We all deserve to live our biggest and fullest and brightest life. And there will be things within our lived experiences that we attract or that have gone through that attract shame and guilt to us. Dr. Brene Brown, her work and what she brings into the world of us looking at this idea of fitting in and belonging, that the biggest desire of the human brain is to have a place that you feel that you belong. And what does belonging mean? What words do I need in my head, in my experience to be a part of that belonging? What does unconditional belonging mean? So as I'm answering these questions, as I'm looking at these ideas, it helped me to create what I call crafting your equity lens. So crafting your equity lens is a three-day workshop that I offer folks. Um, I take people through their own personal lived experience um, based off of the ideas of inequities, racial discrimination, structures and systems within the United States, because that's my lived experience as I'm working them through. But there's articles, there's videos, there's introspection, 
a deeper connection through self-reflection, the actual crafting of the equity lens and accountability that comes out of all of this. So I'm asking people to look at their own lived experience. I'm giving them an opportunity, if they so choose, to share that within a structured and an environment that is going to be a brave space, not just a, a safe space, but a brave space, and hopefully a space that they see by the end was needed for them to be able to look in the mirror and say, how much of my thinking is my thinking? How much of my thinking has been indoctrination? How much of my thinking has been this societal socialization that is actually based on the oppression of a group of people? And that uprooting, taking out those internalized racial oppressions, taking out that internalized um, superiority and all those other internalized and filling it back in with our authenticity. That's what I'm helping people do. I'm not saying this is what you have to do. If you um, have a microaggression or you're the person you do saying the microaggression or this, this is what you say. And then everything will be all right. I want that, people. That's not leadership. That's no, not leadership. Not. That's a dictatorship. Exactly. You know, exactly. People support what they create. That's and it. So, you know, getting people into a place where they can be creative and, and come up with their own solutions. But but I'm curious, Matthew, who seeks this out? Like what problem or challenge or pain are we experiencing that we're going to say, you know, I need Matthew Reynolds to help me uh, craft my equity lens? I call it shadow. Right. A chapter. Tell me, tell me a, more. A chapter in my book is called Shadow. And mm -hmm. so Shadow is all about that in that indoctrination and internalized ideas. Right. So when I was younger, what was I taught? The N-word was a word that I could be physically uh, use my fists against. Fighting right? words. Dem Dems were fighting words, as I exactly. said. Right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so I learned at an early age that I, I handled that word by being physical with another human being, which to me is dehumanizing, right? So I was doing at that time, the very thing now that I'm trying to shine a light on and say, this isn't the way. Dehumanizing another human being, because we've been taught that there needs to be an oppressed group, there needs to be a loser. We've been taught on a binary, black, white, right, wrong, good, bad, male, female, Democrat, Republican, Right. And we we've been fed this idea that there's only two ways and the gray may be in between. But we humanity is so much more than that. And I believe that that is felt by all of us. And so when you say what are the problems or what's coming up for people, it's that voice in your head shadow that tells you that you are not worthy, that you are undeserving that you don't get to be that, this is your, it's that fixed mindset, right? That failure equates that, well, that's my lot in life and I'm done. There's nothing else I can do. I'm I'm stuck here, that fixed mindset. What I'm, people who are, are like reaching that point, giving up hope, don't have hope anymore in just their own personal life, crafting your equity lens, which changes and shifts as you start to use it more, right? Your life, you'll start to open up. You'll start realizing, oh, this isn't my authentic self. How much of my thinking is my thinking? This is a, I'm responding and reacting in a way that was taught to me 
by society, by the dominant culture's ideas of what I, a gay, black, male, how I'm supposed to respond in this situation, how I'm supposed to react in this situation, but it's not truly me. So who is the real me? And well, it that- sounds to me that you are special, number one, in that you have a desire to change that narrative moving forward to create the best version of yourself that you can create. So when I when I think about, all right, how bad does that pain have to be in me for me to want to make a change? Like what type of people, you know, like we, we, we've all been taught on the binary. We all have, um, you know, uh, peculiarities, if you will, on our journey that, you know, may cause us to not show up as the best versions of ourselves that we could possibly be. What type of person or maybe it's a group, or maybe it's a, a, a corporate situation. Just explain to me, you know, who would come and say, you know what, this is a problem. I want to change it. Uh, how bad does it have to be for them to want to change it? Or they recognize it and like, you know, well, it is what it is. You've all heard those people, right? It is what it is. There's nothing I can do about it. So who are you for? when it comes to the work that you do in the world? Is this something that corporations hire you to do or do individuals hire you? Every, all, D, all the above. Our body, our body <laughs> hires you. <laughs> I've had corporations, I've worked with coding companies, I've worked with um, theater departments, I've worked with theaters, professional, non-professional, off-Broadway, et cetera, et cetera. I've, I do what's called open groups. So I have folks that come in, educators, Um, school districts, uh, folks who are just starting a business and now have hired folks to work at their business and they want to structure and build up. Um, I've worked with the U.S. Embassy in Brazil. Um, I've worked with, you know, this this is the thing that I'm trying to get to. My book is Biggest, Fullest, Brightest, Shifting the Consciousness of Humanity. We have been stuck and bamboozled into a catch-22. And that catch-22 is based on the ideas of supremacy, that there is a group that has to be above and a group that has to be below. And if you choose to see that as as black and white, if you choose to see that as socioeconomic, if you choose to see that as I live in the United States and you don't, if you choose to, you see what I'm saying? It's it's this thought process that has stuck humanity in in dehumanizing itself and not allowing us to grow into our biggest, fullest, and brightest. So when you ask me that question, who's drawn to it, I'm finding more and more conversation, more active listening to other people's stories. Everybody's drawn to it. Everybody is starting to really, truly realize that humanity is right now caught in this loop that we aren't expanding into our biggest, fullest, and brightest. We're caught in this idea that, oh, this is how we make money. This is what success is. This is what power is, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I'm here to say, and a lot of people who've crafted their equity lens, that there's something different out there, right? Why are there people in the United States, supposedly one of the richest countries in the world, that are still starving? Why are there people anywhere in the world that don't have food? Why does the United States throw away over 50 cubic tons of food a year? 
where, you know, all these things. And when we start tying them in, they all come back to the ideas of colonization, that there's winners and losers, that I can't give them my this food to them, right? They haven't worked hard enough. They haven't done these things. They haven't, et cetera. They're not et cetera. worthy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And every human being is worthy of their life, is worthy of being their biggest, fullest, and brightest. I am shifting the consciousness of humanity. I'm a world creator. That's what I am. What is your biggest challenge uh, getting people to see the importance of this work? I am not, I'm he- I'm not here to, to argue and fight with people and drag them kicking and screaming anymore. Oh, so you stopped doing that. I, I'm not doing that. <laughs> You're not beating people up and dragging them in. <laughs> you, I'm not here to argue with you. No, that's, if you feel that way, great. I'm going to ask your consent. I just listened. This is what I, how I handle those conversations now. I just listened to you for the last five, seven minutes. Explain your side. Um, and now I'm going to explain my side and give you a response. Will you listen? And if they go into a diatribe right away, that to me is a no. And the conversation's over. Thank you. Um but I'm not going to spend any more time there. If they say yes. A lot yes. of energy to spend time with, right? you know, getting people to, to do. So, but how do you raise your level of influence, um, if you will, when you are really trying to see people to see the value in crafting their equity lens? I'm trying to get them to see the value in living a life that is humanity led. I'm not this, what I offer, what I have to offer. Do I, okay, let me back up a sec. Do I believe that everybody should craft their equity lens and that it will be beneficial to their life and who they are? Yes. Do I believe that every person will? No. Is that like, um, is, is that thinking poorly or whatever kind of thing? No, it's just the truth. It's reality. It's reality. And so I'm going to spend my energy and my time working with those who truly want to build the new. And I'm going to invite those. I'm not going to leave you out. I'm going to invite those who don't know what I've done, haven't met me, haven't heard about me, haven't crafted their equity lens, think that it's a crazy, foolish idea. I'm going to invite you all to come and be a part of this new. But I'm not going to waste my time on this earth, not leaving tools for future generations to be inspired by the shift in consciousness that happened where humanity actually started to look at each other and truly uphold one another. We hear, we see them as feel good stories, right? That, oh my gosh, this, this catastrophe happened, this catalyst happened. And look at these people who rose to the, 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 the occasion and helped in this way, et cetera, et cetera. We don't need the catastrophe happening. We need to be rising to the occasion every day mm-hmm. and helping each other become our biggest, fullest and brightest. It's not for any one person to do. I am not here to be anybody's guru. I I love the wording that you said you extended the invitation and and that's what it is. It's an invitation. And we as conscious beings of choice can accept the invitation or decline the invitation, but we do have the choice. Who needs to initiate this conversation? The conversation around crafting an equity lens or the conversation around being humanity led? 
being humanity lens and I see, I see that listen I don't think you can they, they seem intertwined to, to me at this point oh. just by by speaking with you you know um, coming from a humanitarian level humanity level you've got to have some sort of equity lens no yes so you know when it comes to this work especially I'm, I'm thinking in corporate who do you feel needs to initiate the conversation to bring that into their their teams and their communities? Everyone does. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. This idea of a hierarchical system, a patriarchal system, mm -hmm. right? That has got us on this catch-22 that we're on right now. And when you craft your equity lens, you start shifting that. So I've had organizations now, they're like, well, should the board craft their equity lens? Should our volunteers craft their equity? And I'm like, yes. Mix it up, bring all of them. And now it's not just affinity groups for white-bodied folks or for folks who identify as Black, Indigenous, people of color, but it's affinity groups that are for folks that come together as volunteers for the organization, as board, as this. Then they bring all those people together. It's not like, oh, the board is way over here or the CEO is way up here and I'll never see them because I work in this area. No, everybody comes together. And it's that idea of a circle that many indigenous peoples use for time immortal to be able to have a conversation and that we use a lot in theater and that I used a lot in my classroom. It's that circle that needs to happen. So organizations are shifting the ways in which they're run after they've crafted their equity lens. Well, let's take a little break. Okay. <laughs> because when we come back, and now I want to talk a little bit about um, the safety or lack thereof, either way, of doing this kind of work, of crafting our equity lens, of taking a deeper look inside of ourselves so that we can see clearer outside of ourselves, if you will, mm -hmm. in certain environments. Because I think, you know, I'm gonna throw something at you. <laughs> and I'm interested to see what your take is on it. And so, so guys, come back. We're going to take a short break. We'll see you in a minute. Having higher levels of energy is something you choose and condition, not something you have. Exhaustion has been a challenge for over two years now. This is the year you can choose to change. Here are five things you can start doing today to reverse the burnout, stress, and overwhelm that is keeping you from living a life full of good health and happy relationships www.evamedelec.com slash reverse burnout. If you're an influencer, you don't follow the trends, you set them. Voice America influencers are involved in creating change in personal and professional lives, collaborating and driving value to make our lives better. We have world-renowned thought leaders, speakers, authors, entrepreneurs, artists, and some of the most influential voices today. Listen in today to what they have to say. Engage in the conversation. The Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Answer the call. What's stopping you from having more money, time, energy, and fun? Learn how to break through where you stop so that you can have greater success, better health, and happier relationships. Take this free quiz to identify what's stopping your success and learn exactly what you can do about it. www.evamedelec.com slash quiz. 
We don't follow. We lead. Join us. The Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with host Eva Medelec. Have a question for Eva or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5795. That's 866-472-5795. Now back to the show. Here again is Eva Medelec. Okay, everybody, we are back and I'm having this amazing conversation with Matthew Reynolds. And before we went to break, Matthew, I really talked a little bit about um, the type of environments, the the safety in the environments to do this work, because this work is not easy. It's emotionally draining. It's hard. It's emotional. It's sensitive, you know, regardless of the pie in the sky that we want all humanity to, to really get each other and all get along, you know, kind of reminds me of Rodney King. Why can't we all get along? And there's a school of thought that this equity work first needs to be done in exclusion before it can be done in inclusive environments. And what I mean by that is, do you think that people from oppressed, from historically oppressed communities can feel safe doing this work? especially the initiate the initial part of this work in groups with our historical oppressors, if you will, in the same room. And I want to hear your thoughts on that. Yes, Eva, thank you so much for this question. I think it's a really important question when it comes to this work and moving this work forward. Um, First off, your use of language, pie in the sky idea, um, hard, difficult, emotional, etc. Once again, how much of our thinking is our thinking? Because for me, it's not a pie in in the sky idea. I'm not creating a utopia. When I'm talking, when I say humanity led, it means that I see your humanity first and foremost. It doesn't mean I'm going to agree with everything you say. It doesn't mean I'm going to practice the religion that you practice, or if I'm even going to practice a religion. It doesn't mean these ideas that I think that we've been indoctrinated into to say that, oh, this is woo woo, or this is all this, you know, love and light and laughter. And we're not going to, we're not going to have sorrow and grief or anything like that anymore. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I believe that we as human beings have not expanded into our full capacity. We are not using our frontal cortex to the level in which we could if we had a world that actually led with our humanity first and foremost, instead of amassing wealth, only making money for a particular few, that you are the have and you're the have not, that I'm superior to you and you're lesser than, and all the different amalgamations that come with those ideas that I just gave that we see throughout our systems, right? So then taking that yet another step forward into this idea of safety, I believe that we all deserve a right to go into this intimate work in a space that can be as mixed as possible, as diverse as possible, that can have as many different mindsets within the room as possible. If we understand that this is a needed space that this is a brave space, 
that this is an intimate space and that no one is forced to have to talk. You don't have to share anything. And I set up my workshops in, in a way in which there's writing prompts and I give everybody an opportunity to write first. And if you want to sit and write, you're more than welcome to continue writing, but try to just jot down a couple of words and then be actively listening to the people who do choose to share. And I think that that's an integral part of it. And after each of my days, I do have two separate groups. I have a white-bodied facilitator with myself. We have two separate groups, one that is for Black, Indigenous, people of color, one that's for white-bodied folks. Because a lot of times, to be honest, the white-bodied folks realize or have these realizations that, oh, I have said something or done something that has caused harm to a BIPOC person. And they don't want to bring it up in the mixed group because they don't want to cause somebody harm again. Yeah, that's actually the point I was trying to make. And mm-hmm. and look, the patriarchy is a, is a very strong, powerful group, especially the white patriarchy. And how <laughs> honest, really, will they feel safe themselves sharing what they really believe? Because a lot of their real beliefs is are... Um, not on that higher level, if you will, of humanity. You know, they were taught by dad, granddad, or whatever, that these type of people, people with this skin color, people with this education level are less than, and that's just not rooted out because it's wrong, you know, and basically well, and- is wrong. And so for them to be, you know, their, their supervisors, the CEO, saying we need to do this work in DE&I. And this is who I'm bringing in to do this work with this company so that we can all, you know, not get sued or whatever the motivation is. And Mm -hmm. I'm just like being really kind of like real about it because my disappointment a lot of times in this work was people really thinking, well, not me, I'm different. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. not really in a container with their like-bodied peers, whatever that body is, to feel safe saying what they really feel because you're in the room or I'm in the room or someone else is in the room. And so it's scary to be that honest. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to shine a light on our imperfections in addition to not wanting to hurt someone else that may be offended by what we say. Mm-hmm. And the only person I'm asking folks to be truthful with is themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're having that intimate moment in writing and putting things down for themselves, right? And folks notice when people don't speak up. Folks notice when people co-opt and center everything around them. People and That's through our group agreements, the ways in which I set up the space, the ways in which I hold the space for folks. And I'm not there. I'm not here to change your mind. I'm not here to make you think this way. I'm here to help you craft your own personal equity lens from your lived experience. I don't need to hear the story that is re-traumatizing certain folks in this room. We don't need to bring those things up. I have what's called oops and ouches 
as mm-hmm. part of my group agreements, right? Got it. Got so it. So yeah. people are utilizing these as we go through. They're learning how to utilize these. They're learning how to set those boundaries. They're learning that I don't need to sit here and, and go through all of this again. And I don't need to take all this space. Wait, why am I talking? Why aren't I talking? I don't need to take all this space from everybody else because I'm processing out loud right now. But I'm I'm creating this equity lens and, oh, they're giving me time to write so I can write these things out. So it's getting out of my system. I can have my microphone um, on mute and I can be talking if I if my abilities don't allow me to handle or to be able to use a pen or a pencil, but I can talk into my phone. I'm, I'm giving people these, these ways for it to truly be an intimate experience. Now, there's not at the end of the three days, that's the beginning. Then I ask organizations and corporations now utilize, you got small little bite-sized chews. You've got your accountability partners. We ask that you, you, Utilize your equity lens every day, read it every day, then two other things that don't have anything to do with your organization. So Maybe- is this equity lens like a a written crafted manifesto yes, or something? Yes, it is. It's it's to it is an opportunity for people to write their own personal mission statement that's based on their lived experiences. Got it, got it, got it. And it starts with I am crafting a world. And they talk about and, and the way that the process goes, because I don't want to give all of it away, because then it doesn't allow people, then people sit and are like, have the that pre-thought, and then they're like, oh, and then that indoctrination starts to take over, that voice in the head starts to take over kind of thing. But yes, this is a personal mission statement is for a, a simple way of putting it. What do you believe humanity's greatest potential is? Loving one another. That's what I think humanity's greatest potential is. I just, I'm, I look at the things in the world that I, I, the atrocities that I just can't believe. And then I, I go, well, what's the inverse of that? Or what's a whole different trajectory? Why aren't we floating two feet off the ground when we meditate? Why are we still using fossil fuels? Why why are we still thinking we're different and above the planet? No matter what your faith or your ideology is, we it's scientifically proven we are of this planet. We are part of this world. We should not be sitting in this place above it that we are better than it. And so I think once we reconnect in certain ways with some of the advancements that we have, the the it's limitless. We can go anywhere that we want to. I call it the Star Trek ideology, right? <laughs> Gene Roddenberry, it's, it's like, come on, there's no money. Mm-hmm. Money isn't necessary. I feel like I want to see the joy of people when they eat my food. So I'm going to have a restaurant and I'm, I have this farmer who brings me their fresh food. And so I'm just feeding people three times a day or two times a day or once a week, these large meals. And I help out over here or I do this over here. And it's so far fetched, right? In our minds, because we've been indoctrinated and bamboozled and beaten into this only one way of thinking. That's why I say, I want the new. What is the new? And I may Jose not- Andres does that um, quite well with his World Central Kitchen. I've, I've fundraised for them um, quite a bit. So um, I, I love his mission. So yeah. t- 
tell us in the time that we have left, tell us about your book and what is the main message that uh, your book? Um, Biggest, Fullest, Brightest, it drives home the point that that everyone is valued for who they are and that you can create a better future for yourself and the world around you by deeping, digging into your authenticity and believing in that authenticity and allowing yourself to be your biggest, fullest, and brightest, modeling that for others, inspiring others to do that, and asking, how can I support you in that? Instead of saying, you did this wrong, you should do it this way. No, how can I support you? What does support look like? What what do you need? What do you yes. need? Yes. So how can folks get in touch with you, Matthew? Oh my goodness, they can I'm all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> How can they rein you in? <laughs> they can rein me in at MRR. I love that. MRRconsulting.org. So Matthew Ray Reynolds, MRR Consulting, all one word, dot org. That's the best place you'll find everything there to get a hold of me. And with everything that you do, my final question is what matters most to you? Humanity. It really does. Because I've spent so much of my life being told that I'm not human enough because of the color of my skin, because who my soul chooses to love. All these things have made me lesser than. And that makes no sense to me anymore. I do not subscribe to that ideology. And I believe that humanity, we can truly grow into something that is magical and phenomenal and exceptional and beautiful. And I just want us to do that. Even if I don't see it now, I look forward to, to, to future generations bringing that to fruition. Thank you. I really appreciate the the light you shine in the world and, and your heart for helping young people and all of us. So thank you for all you do for sharing your passion, your excitement, your, your skills and your life journey with us today. And I want to thank our listeners for choosing to listen to the show today. I'm really grateful that you are choosing to spend some time with us. Uh, Maybe you find something for yourself in what we share on the show weekly. And I hope you'll find time to join us again next week. So here is the quote I'm leaving you all with this week. I I leave people with a time quote every week. (laughs) Time is precious. Make sure you spend it with the right people. And that's from an unknown author. So until next time, everyone, bye for now. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to What's Important Now, Making Time for What Matters Most with Eva Medelec. We hope we've been able to inspire you with today's show to take control of your own life and focus on the win. What's important now? Until we talk again, have a beautiful week.